Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Music for Education and Wellbeing podcast. Join us each month to hear ideas, inspiration and practical advice from people making change through music. These conversations are hosted by me, Anita Holford of Music Education Works and Writing Services. So I'll be focusing in particular on breaking down barriers to music through communication and advocacy, but from quite a broad perspective. I really hope you'll enjoy them. And now on with the show. Hello. Before we start the podcast, I just wanted to let you know about three short resource-packed online courses that I've developed to help you or your team to win hearts and minds for music and grow your reach and impact. If you work in music for education, well-being or social impact, you'll know how important communications and advocacy are to your work. But you often can't afford a dedicated person to devote themselves to this area and it's difficult finding the right way to upskill yourself or your team. Many of the courses available are all about traditional arts marketing, putting bums on seats or getting visitors into museums. That's why I've developed these courses based on my experience of working with people like you. The courses available so far are in communication strategy, written communications and social media. They're all available on demand online and there are options for individuals as well as being great value for organisations because you can pay one price for up to 16 members who can learn at their own pace or even use videos and resources in team workshops. I hope you'll take a look. Just visit writing-services.co.uk slash courses. And now on with the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Music for Education and Wellbeing podcast. Today I'm really looking forward to talking to two really interesting people who I will allow to introduce themselves in a little more detail. But for now, welcome Serona Alton from the University of Miami and the Mechanical Licensing Collective over in the States. And welcome Oliver Morris from UK Music. Hello, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, likewise, great to be here. Nice to be here. Thanks both for coming. So why I wanted to talk to both of you together on this podcast is that you both have a shared interest in helping young musicians and I guess their parents or carers to become more informed about what careers and progression routes might be available to them in music. I wonder if I could start by asking you both to introduce yourselves briefly by saying who you are, what you do and how you found your way to where you are today in music. Perhaps start with Serona. Sure, sure. So so today, what I do are two jobs that are very closely related um, in that they both involve education. I am a professor. I run the music industry program at the University of Miami Frost School of Music. So that's a college level program where students are studying about the music industry, um, which is housed within a school of music where students are studying all sorts of different types of careers in music. And so I am, you know, in the classroom teaching as well as helping advise students on career paths. And my other role with the Mechanical Licensing Collective um, is a new organization in the United States uh, that's a, a nonprofit organization that was created as a result of a change in the U.S. copyright law several years ago, which altered the way a particular kind of music licensing called mechanical licensing. It's changed the way that procedurally works. And the law called for the creation of a central organization to manage 
that kind of licensing activity. And that includes collecting a particular kind of royalties and paying that money out to rights holders and creators. And so that organization has a real educational challenge, which is where I come in, in helping explain to all types of people in the music industry, whether it's songwriters um, and, and artists, as well as a lot of business people, what exactly this type of licensing is um, and and how, you know, what they need to do in order to collect any money that might be due to them. It's a complicated topic. <laughs> and so um, I get to teach people about it all the time. And inevitably, as part of teaching about what that thing is, I have to actually put it in the context of how all of the royalties in the music industry work. So ultimately, I'm an educator in, in both of these different roles. So that's that's what I do. And sorry, that was so long-winded. I can't remember yeah, the second part of your question. <laughs> so the second part of the question is, um, how did you get to where you are today? So uh, what route did you take? Uh, I mean, I think very early on, I uh, when I was a, a child, I was able to have like some proximity to the music industry and fell in love with music. And uh, for a brief minute, fell in love with the idea of maybe becoming a music myself, but then realized pretty quickly that's not my talent. <laughs> but realizing that I had such a strong passion, I wanted to find a way to apply what I do have in terms of skills and talents to this industry. And so ultimately, um, throughout high school and college, uh, I did everything I could to, to be in the proximity of what was happening with the music industry where I lived. I did end up actually studying music industry. Um, I got a master's degree in music industry um, and then went to work for a big music company in the field, a major record label. I'm called EMI. And I was able to try and do a lot of different kinds of things. And over time, realized what I was really good at and what I enjoyed. And if you're lucky, over time, you can work on your professional career path so that you end up doing more of the things you're good at and you like and less of the things that you're not good at and you don't like as much. And I can trace a thread back from even things in high school to now of being sort of an educator and a natural explainer of things. Um, and then as careers do, things take turns left and right. You know, um, you make personal choices and changes. And I made a geographical change to move away from New York and move um, back to where I grew up in Miami, Florida. Timing is everything. Uh, and the University of Miami was hiring for a professor in music industry. And so wow. it just all kind of, you know, fell in place. And, and then lastly, more recently with the MLC, I worked with the person who's now the CEO at the MLC at another big music company called Warner Music Group. And we worked very closely together and and when he then ended up at the MLC, he knew about my role, both as an educator and as a person who has worked heavily in this particular segment of the music industry. And so we crafted this current role together that just makes so much sense. All about being in the right place at the right time. And also that thing you said about, you know, being able to try different things. And, and then I finally found things that I was good at and I liked. I think, you know, that's what most pe young people struggle with is having those opportunities yeah. early on to find that to explore that um so ollie i'll go on to you to find to find out a little bit more about what you do and how you got to where you are today right yeah sure so i'm with uk music i'm a director of education and skills there so my, my remit is quite broad in terms of what we do we, uk music represents the music industry 
uh, in the UK as a whole. And, and obviously, I mean, the challenges that Serona was mentioning there are very much at the forefront of our minds too. So, so we represent members such as AIM, BPI, Featured Artists Coalition, Ivers Academy, Music Managers Forum, Music Publishers Association, Music Producers Guild, Musicians Union, PPL and PRS for Music. So you can see it's quite a broad, broad range of members there. And what we were formed really to sort of communicate their needs to government and try and make sure we secure support for the industry uh, and try and have a cohesive voice really around what, what is necessary to keep music you know, at the forefront of people's minds and, and supported. I mean, music's such a large part of everyone's lives. It's sort of, but any and all industries need, need people shouting about what's missing, what's needed, what's necessary in terms of support. So that, that's sort of one area we, we look at and take care of. And then the other area is education, of course, because you know, it's important that we help those young people, uh, those other people that think about career changes, those people are already in the industry to really make the most of the, the opportunities. All our members represent different parts of the music industry. They support them. You know, I was at an event just this week in Southampton talking to young people and I said, obviously your, your initial network are, are those professionals around you. And it's in school, it might be your, your classmates or your bandmates. At uni, it's going to be fellow students and lecturers. It'll be your local music scene. But ultimately, another important part of your, your professional network are those professional organisations, those bodies that you can meet, get involved with, nurture relationships. They're key, really. So, I mean, if you're starting out, or whether you're right in the middle of it, you want to be checking out those bodies that represent you and try and get your voice heard. You know, I'm a passionate member of the MU Musicians Union because I've played for a long time. I think it's key, it's so important these days to be involved and get get your voice across, really. So my remit, just briefly, I'm, it's everything from running the Music Academic Partnership, which is a, a collective of, of educational institutions and partners. So we have awarding bodies, we have further education colleges, we have higher education institutions too. And that's really around creating opportunities for students and lecturers and staff and to meet industry, talk about issues um currently linking them up with BBC introducing around opportunities for for students to attend events that kind of thing so that's really key that's quite a big part of my a big part of my role and then on top of that there's all the there's lots of policy changes at the moment across the UK recently there's been the national plan for music education which there are wholesale changes to things like the skills landscape Apprenticeships have changed completely since I've been UK Music, so we've been sort of leading on the development of new apprenticeships, helping industry understand the changes. We work with a lot of other creative industries bodies as well and communicate issues um, that we found as the creative industries to government around how they've um, rolled out these things. I mean, there's also T-levels at the moment coming out in, in England, which are, are awkward, to be honest, for, for the, a lot of the creative industries. I support other bodies where I can too. So, for example, I mentioned the MU. I'm actually part of the education section for the MU. Also, I've tried to get involved where I can in, in other organisations or groups. So I'm on the steering group for Make Music Day at UK, on the advisory panel for Live Music Exchange. I'm a member of Anthem in Wales. You'll know, you'll know Anthem, Anita. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just try, yeah, tr try and sort of help where I can, I guess. Then this really comes from my passion for... Um, opportunities for young people and some kind of societal justice i guess or that the idea that everyone deserves a chance at, at a decent life and, and pursuing stuff they love so my background is and this might help explain that i guess i, I grew up in, in west wales and actually not very well not very well off <laughs> at all so uh, i sort of hated school so dropped out of school as soon as i could 
to about the age of 16, I was out of school, messing around, playing in bands. And I started playing music when I was 14. So I, I found myself sort of playing a lot more music, you know, um, obviously claiming the dole a bit as you do at that age, where you used to be able to anyway, while you're in a band. Um, yeah, I ended up playing in a punk band, driving, living in an ambulance for a bit. And eventually uh, decided I should go back to university. This was just after I started a family quite young as well. So I went back to uni as a mature student, started getting bits of work, using my experience as a musician and someone that is a bit alternative, I guess, and a bit creative. So I started working in the theatre with kids that had been excluded from school. And it was great. I was getting paid to engage with people who weren't, looking back, weren't much younger than me, actually, but that were right in the middle of that chaotic life that I'd sort of had a bit of. So that was great. And, and education just sort of became a bit of an interest for me because I'd, I'd thrown it away so young. I was like, right, I've got to get on top of this. So I did like a, a degree and then a master's while I was working and bringing up a family. And I did a PhD. I was offered a funded PhD, which completely came out of the blue. As as uh, Serena said, you know, sometimes things come along and you've got to sort of sometimes grasp them. Sometimes you can't see where they're going to come from. But sometimes your your skills and experience align to help you get an offer an opportunity. And that's really what happened with UK Music. I was just I just finished my PhD. I was doing a bit of lecturing. Uh, at the uni and this job job popped up in London I didn't, I'm from West Wales and I was like right well I'll apply for it but I didn't think, expect to get it and uh, yeah it, it's the first time ever I've seen a job spec where I sort of ticked every box and I, and I got it and it was you know it was a bit of a shock to be honest but a bit of a different different angle on what I've been doing already but it was working with young people around education and, and creativity so it's quite exciting I guess but yeah, it's exciting and interesting and I, and I get to hopefully help a little bit as well as Serena does. So so you've both got really interesting stories to tell that, that will be quite um, reassuring for young people, I guess. So Serena, you start off thinking, I might be a musician, I'd like to be a musician. Then you quickly realise you wouldn't be a musician. Ollie, you started off being a musician and then have carried on being a musician and then found another route into in a career in music. And a lot of young people might easily pursue a variety of different roles in music, but they don't know it yet. And we all having the perspective of hindsight, having the benefit of hindsight can look back and think, yeah, it's about chance. It's about opportunity. It's about taking those opportunities. But I know from lots of young people that I come across wanting to work in music, it feels very scary and uncertain and very hopeless sometimes. And it feels as though there's not a lot of information for them about all the very many opportunities that there are in the music industry and in the sort of industries surrounding that. So that was what I was really interested to talk about today. And, and particularly, Ollie, I was interested to hear that you'd work with kids that were excluded from school and you had empathy with them because of your own background. And I also wanted to talk, focus a little bit on, you know, who's missing out from that knowledge and that social capital around and sort of networking around opportunities in music and progression routes. So to sort of crack on, in your respective countries, how easy or difficult do you think it is for young people to find out about roles in the music industry, about what the possibilities even are? I think the answer could be that it's easy and it's difficult <laughs> because, yeah. you know, I think it depends on a couple of factors. Mm -hmm. Um for example, if you if you have access to the internet, you feel comfortable searching the internet for information, then the information is there. But realizing that not everybody feels comfortable doing that, in which case it's going to be more challenging if you don't um, instead perhaps have access to an adult 
who can point you in the right direction. You know, there are music programs in, in many of our schools on varying levels. And there are music teachers who students can talk to and say, I'm interested in being, being a musician, or I'm interested in working in something in music. I don't know what other things there are. And depending on, you know, who they happen to ask, they might get a, a school teacher who knows a lot and says, great, here's this website to go to, or here's this book, um, you know, or they, they might encounter somebody that says, well, I don't know. I just know my own path. So it's really going to run the gamut. I've met a lot of amazing music educators, you know, that teach in sort of high school or, or below who, because generally many of them have come through college programs in music, they've been exposed to what the other types of careers are in music beyond just being um, a musician. And so a lot of them are a wealth of information and can say, you know, hey, have you thought about music education, music therapy, music industry, you know, music engineering? They themselves as teachers have been exposed to the many career paths through their own college experience because many schools of music at the college level do have different degrees. So I think finding out that information is not terribly difficult if you have either you're comfortable looking it up on the internet or you have access to somebody who has perhaps studied at a college of music. So I think finding that information is easy. Then thinking about, you know, if you find something that sparks a passion, going to pursue that, you know, then you can get into all sorts of complexities like um, socioeconomic factors and, and affording to go to college and things like that. But I think finding a, finding out about it, it's easier now than it ever was in the past. I'm wondering if sometimes that's half the problem. It's a little bit like mm. Google is fantastic, but Google is also uh, overwhelming. And for a young person who say in their final year of school, 16 or something, thinking done music GCSE or, or I'm in a band or whatever, and I really want to stay in music, but I've not got a clue. It's like, where would they go? So I'll hand over to you, Ollie. What do you think about the, the situation in the UK for young people in, in that situation? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I mentioned we work with other creative industries and we worked on a, on a careers project uh, called Discover Creative Careers. Um, and it was really around sort of trying to share, share the knowledge around those different careers. But it is an interesting issue, isn't it? Because it's almost like, and I agree, Sarone, if, if you have the internet and you have the capacity and, and and the knowledge around almost what you're looking for or you can find stuff but for me it's almost interesting that first step which is it's such a blank sheet people often don't know what to look for so the website we created with the other creative industries was really trying to solve that so it, it asks a few basic questions and then it helps suggest a few possible careers in the creative industries based on your likes and dislikes or that kind of thing so you know it's, it's a relatively simple tool but it's, it had quite a lot of pickup and is used across schools which is great but i think in, in the uk from, from my understanding there is far better understanding now of the sort of breadth of roles it, it's a perpetual problem i think people love music people understand songs they understand the artists but then often don't see beyond that it's like if you like films you might want to be an actor but you, but you don't understand that there's 400 people on a film when it might be only three or four actors but I, th I think generally there's good information out there i think for me it's really about trying to help people access it and understand uh, and also challenging those sort of gatekeepers to share it more so again under the discover creative careers program we created a little training package for um the enterprise coordinators that work with all schools uh, and careers advisors just 
just to try and shine a light on on an area that the people might understand. I mean, I, I try and hold my own opinions back when talking to my own sons, just because, you know, every, everyone's different. And, and I, I can see, I, I know exactly what they feel like. I felt the same when I used to talk to my mum. But it is important to have those conversations and important to try and open up people's horizons. I mean, interestingly, my, for me, anyway, I'm sure not for anyone else, but my PhD was on aspirations of young people in Wales and really how young people perceive their opportunities locally. And so much is dependent on sort of familial relationships and peers and, and what's available in the local college. You know, it's just that there, there are so many blocks so early on and people get sort of pushed along certain pathways so early. The, the most, the best we can do really is try and create as, as much info as possible. We do have stuff on our website, you know, we've got job profiles and we've got a careers pack. I always encourage people to get in touch with me if they've got questions or want to follow up on anything. We do all the outreach with the unis and the colleges um, and we try and all our members are really, really keen on sharing this. And and I, and I guess in some ways it's really about those deeper skills or understanding of the creative industries like intellectual property. You know, it's, it sounds such a boring topic for many, but if you're a creative, that's what the foundation of what your, your career should be built on. So to that end, we've, you know, we've worked a lot with the intellectual property office, the government department in the UK. You know, we, we partner with them on a lot of outreach and programs and that sort of stuff. So, but yeah, it, it, I mean, it, it's very mixed and, and there are so many good organisations out there doing very, usually unsung work, but at an amazing level locally. And actually, the last thing I'll say about this is a lot of the good stuff in the industry is basically created by young entrepreneurial spirits, if you like. So so if you've got an idea or you want to write about a gig or you've got an idea for a product, so just just get on with it, just do it, you know, do don't worry about hanging around because those fresh ideas, even if nothing comes of it, you'll have a, something to put on your CV. Interesting. Do you think that there are particular groups of young people who miss out more than others? I mean, that's obviously a leading question, but I'd like to kind of get into that conversation, particularly about those young people who just don't have those contacts, don't have parental, not necessarily parental support, but even just parental knowledge, actually. So many parents may not have a clue about the music industry, for one thing, but also how broad the music industry is how many opportunities I think parents are quite nervous when young people say I want to be a musician or I want to work in music and they might even stop that young person's progression into what they might really love not realizing that it can be a stable career there are lots of opportunities for them yeah just interested to hear your thoughts about particularly young people who miss out and particularly young people who face barriers and what can what can be done about that and um, I actually had a question from Twitter which was from Michael Davidson from Hertfordshire Music Service over here in the UK and he asked are opportunities equally accessible to all and if not what could help them so that's a big question for you both <laughs> that is a phenomenal phenomenally big question I think the, the honest answer is obviously opportunities aren't equal to all are they um and there are multiple uh, intersecting issues and barriers for people to access them. Hopefully, we uh, and many other people communicate the benefits of music, not just playing, but immersing yourself in it, learning learning about music. Hopefully, we communicate that enough that, that the governments and others take it on board. I personally think that music doesn't play a large enough part of, of your upbringing, and certainly in school, which is the one place, well, apart from homeschooled, kids obviously the one the one place you should be able to access nurturing creative and cultural content is school i i hated it to be honest because it was dull and it was boring um and you know like i say i I played music but i played 
my own music in my own time because I hated music lessons. I hated other, pretty much the whole thing, you know, uniforms. I hated a lot. So there are a lot of kids out there that feel alienated straight away if we even think about trying to involve them in organized formal music lessons or discussions around music. But having said that, if people are creative enough and, you know, and, and like, for example, our, our member, the MPG, Music Producers Guild, during the discussions around the new National Plan for Music Education, were really, really keen on, and as we were, on making sure technology is understood to be a really important tool in this, the, the landscape now, before it was in sort of in the appendices, whereas really it should be front and centre, because a lot of young people will be accessing and creating via mediums that actually, to be honest, a lot of teachers probably are a little bit uncertain of. Yeah, those are many of the young people who kind of won't be spotted by the music department in school, but are happily carrying on being musicians in their spare time. They might not be spotted by, you know, they might not be spotted as a musician or somebody on a musical pathway by their careers advisor. So those young people kind of miss out from that, even that support that might be available to them in schools. Exactly. Um, And if you're a bit more clever, if you're a bit more clever about it, music can be a hook to draw people in and, and encourage engagement. That, that might be the starting point and it might, might take two or three years to fully engage if there'd been a bit more of a acceptance of music and in my interests in a sort of structured way I guess I would, I would probably have dropped out so soon yeah. music can be a great savior I think and there's some amazing projects and organizations and initiatives going on around engaging young people in learning through music in the UK mm-hmm. I don't know what it's like over there in in the states for for those type of programs Serona Yeah, I mean, it varies tremendously because many of those programs happen at the local level. You have, I think, a number of factors that are making it better, but not so much so that we can sort of sit back and not worry about it, right? It needs to stay front of mind with energy. And, you know, you have some things that are changing, I think, that are making it more accessible is that you're seeing some will call it popular, some call it contemporary music, um, as opposed to classical and jazz from a genre perspective, making its way into music education in schools. So it it makes it, I think, I think that's really important and makes it more accessible to a student who might be making music on a computer not on an instrument and feeling like they're left out of a traditional band or choir. And it takes a while for this to trickle down. You know, you're seeing it at the college level with music educators being educated more about how to teach different styles of music and not just following the sort of band and, and choir model. That then trickles down into what you actually see in the schools, which makes it much more inclusive and in, in realizing that music's made in many different ways these days and, and can be made just on a phone. So I think that that's that's a really positive step in the right direction. But I think there also has to be a continued effort to make sure music programs are funded and kept in schools and that they don't get cut or slashed back to the point that, you know, there isn't a, a full-time music teacher there who can answer those questions in between classes or after school and uh, that a student can come to them and say, what kind of careers are there in music? If you only have a part-time teacher who just comes there one day a week to give some, to supervise a band, you're not going to have that opportunity for those discussions that happen outside of a formal class setting. So there needs to be continued uh, attention on the funding that's needed for schools. What there are are also great programs, again, very locally based that send people into schools to help supplement, you know? So here in Miami, we happen to have a program called Music Reach that we do at the Frost School of Music. 
and we send students who are studying music into local schools to use music as an educational tool, not just to persuade people you should go into music, but to to bring music into uh, students' lives and and help use it as a vehicle to teach all sorts of things. And so, you know, that's a nonprofit. And there's, there's a couple of other ones in Miami as well. So it's really, it's, it's all over the place. It's very varied. It's probably the case that many of the bigger cities have more programs than the small ones. That's really interesting to hear about music students going into local schools. Are they particularly students that are studying to be educators or are they just literally studying all types of music in at that level? Yeah, yeah. So uni students, right, or college students studying music in all different types. Some will study to be performers, not necessarily music educators. Like it probably skews a little more heavily towards our music education students, but definitely not exclusively. Mm, that was interesting. Ollie, I don't know that that happens that much over here? No, I mean, a lot of universities are, are aware of the power of engaging students in projects, you know, in, mm. involving uh, local schools and students and, and, and outreach groups. It uh, definitely, definitely happens. But also, Birmingham Conservatoire, I'm sure, had, had a great programme, and, and they're, they're not alone, you know. And in fact, you know, I, I mean, the point I wanted to raise as well is just um, around that sort of community non-profits organisation that Sorona mentioned, they're key. A lot, a lot of them are engaged in the local music hubs in, in, in England as well. You know, in England has, has the hub system and, and um, certainly worth mentioning that a lot of those are engaged in the hubs and, and or deliver services on behalf of the hub. And others that maybe sit outside that world are equally as important. So, you know, you have organisations like a fantastic one I always think is the pump in, in Birmingham. They work with you know thousands of young people every year. They they manage to survive by drawing in funding. I, th- I think all organisations like that face real struggles in terms of keeping going, and and unfortunately, a lot of them do have to chase grants to survive, which is a real shame. I, I, I would like to see a bit more investment at that sort of level locally, um, you know. And and again, these are sort of kids that maybe like I wasn't particularly engaged in school, and some might be even further and actually fully dropped out of school, like the kids I worked with before giving them a, a focus and, and a community they can tap into is so key and and just in terms of other other organizations sort of supporting the the landscape for educators which is an interesting part as well you know community workers educators those professionals out there again though often unsupported or and another, another great organization called pathways into music they work on helping people understand the the trajectory you can take as a musician lots of resources available to i mean there, there are so many organizations out there that are just doing fantastic work um, at a national, regional or local level. It's very heartening, but I, I would like to, you know, it would be great to think that there's a bit more support out there for those that are really hard-pressed and basically, you know, running pretty much on empty now after years of, of cuts. Doesn't look as though there's any magic funding tree coming anytime soon, <laughs> but <laughs> we can always hope. It's kind of interesting hearing these different perspectives because it, it's seeming to me that there are so many different organisations and individuals in the ecosystem who can really help young people by giving them the information and the knowledge about the full sort of range of careers and also signpost them. But maybe those people don't really see it as their responsibility sometimes. But even instrumental teachers, you know, peripatetic instrumental teachers that go into schools, I guess they wouldn't necessarily see that as their role, but they're really important mentors for young people. And a well-informed instrumental teacher can help a lot of young people because they see a lot of young people each year, don't they? So I guess in a sense, it's about about sharing knowledge with those people as their training, which is something you touched on, Serona. So those university students or those FE or HE students 
knowing about the range of other careers, not necessarily the career that they're in. Have either of you got any further thoughts on that? I guess the trouble is for all teachers that there's an ever-increasing pressure on on teachers and on others that engage with young people to to provide all these services and protect teachers in and out you know, that they could and should be important mentors but they're, they're often stretched you know not, not always the most secure employment circumstances either where could we make progress on the careers thing with with young people i mean i think the national plan is is interesting that the refreshed national plan in england there is definitely a, a expectation that industry will engage more with with educators and we're hoping to see much more of that i guess how that looks with no no more funding is, is another issue I, I guess if you're a school listening to this or a teacher or, or industry listening to this and you're thinking about how can i help just make contact with your local networks and and see if there's anything you can do because i think getting a bit of industry knowledge into schools and non-profits as well can can have exponential benefits for everyone i mentioned apprenticeships earlier i mean that they're slowly taking off in music we, we utilize a lot of business ones for example that really do offer op- an alternative opportunity into the industry for young people who maybe don't want to go to university or are worried about debts all that kind of thing but we you know we've developed a, an assistant recording technician one now as well which is about to start the first cohort there are other ones available, like live event technician, uh, which is being combined with another one that's very similar, like creative venue technician. They're both being combined now. What I'm trying to say is really that if, if you're in industry out there, think about starting an apprenticeship, make links to your local school, think about providing an alternative route, even if you only hit one or two young people every couple of years. If that happens across the board, then it's going to be exciting in five or ten years, isn't it? So I think there's a willingness to, to engage and my last point is really uh, sort of a message for young people listening. It's interestingly, COVID has sort of pressed a big reset button in many ways. Uh, I was at an event on Wednesday in Southampton. Production Futures are another great organisation to look up if you're interested in live events careers. And there are jobs literally all over the place in live events at the moment because, I mean, it's a com- combination of factors. Live is coming back, although, you know, obviously there are pressures around it. And anecdotally, I'm hearing a lot of people that maybe have done 10, 20, 30 years in the business, when COVID hit, they just thought, you know what, I'm going to do something different. So a lot of people actually moved out of the business, live events. So there's a, there's an opportunity there. If, if you're interested in live events, music, theatre, and you're handy with lights or interested in technical stuff or front of house or stage management, there, there's so many opportunities out there and, and there are apprenticeships. So and so I've, I've meandered so long now, I've, I've completely <laughs> gone off the question, I'm sure. But anyway. No, that's fine. I, I'll hand over to Sarone and see if you have any reflections on that, on, on the kind of ecosystem around the young person and what support might be needed for that and what support is needed for young people. Um, I think it's a question of making the resources available and then making people aware that they're there. You know, the, those teachers that you talked about that might be, you know, coming and going from different schools. I think it's a it's a bit much perhaps to expect that they have all the answers, but trying to find a way to make sure they know where you can get them, right? So that they they can say, oh, great question, go to this site 
or get this book. Um, not that they have the answers, but that they can help, you know, as we were, you mentioned earlier, finding a way to make sure that all the people in the music world, wherever students are getting exposed, can point to a set of resources. You know, we we tend not to do anything centrally here in the U.S. Everything is so local, but it does occur to me as thinking about this and in this discussion, you know, that there's some, perhaps some opportunities to just compile something into a very simple document or resource center or website or something that everybody knows that's where you point everybody to. Once once that central site, you know, or, or central whatever it may be, list of things exists, then it's really a question of getting every organization you can get involved in making sure everyone's aware of it, right? So we just... Something like that, you know, hasn't quite happened to my knowledge. There is Grammy in the schools, a recording academy in the U.S. that puts on the Grammys. They have something called Grammys in the school and they, you know, they will actually bring music uh, people from all different parts of the music world in to talk to students. But that only exists in a handful of cities. So that's, you know, you need something broader than that. I think the key to making a difference in this space is realizing that, if you want people to disseminate information, you have to make it very easy for them to do that. Yeah. And it sounds like there is a gap. I, I felt there was a gap. I think that's kind of why I was interested in talking to you both, because uh, advising a young person, it's quite difficult to signpost to a one-stop shop where there's all the various op- opportunities available to them and options available to them. I yeah. don't know, Ollie, have you, have you got any Yeah, well, I mean, it, I agree completely. I mean, it, 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 there's, so there are some things that we could do better, definitely at a national level. I'm, I'm, I'm always impressed, and my, my colleagues listen to this would be, I'll go on about that again. Choose landscape is a really, if you're interested in landscape architecture and that kind of role, you know, there, there's a really basic hashtag, which is choose landscape, and they've got a website which just helps guide you to stuff. I wanted to do something similar in music. I mean, I, I think... One of the problems we have, perhaps, in music is that it's just—it's so, quite a small industry. I mean, it, it, it punches above its weight in terms of growth and in terms of um, you know, income, but it is relatively small in terms of employment numbers, I guess, compared to like car manufacturing or whatever. But actually, with a really, really, really diverse set of of roles, so it, it's sort of like its own worst enemy in many ways. It's also, ironically, I guess, actually really a popular destination. Even if people don't necessarily know what they want to do, I, th- I think that you've seen the growth in music degree courses. I mean, that shows how popular it is as a as an as an ideal or an idea to work in the music industry. Like like you said earlier, Anita, it doesn't necessarily mean people know what they want to do. And and I think a lot of people do start out thinking I want to be the the, the artist. I think we could do stuff better at a national level. But also, I, I also say this quite regularly so again apologies to any colleagues listening but there's not really a single silver bullet is there for these issues i personally uh, i like the eu for this reason i I like lots of different small initiatives that work locally but that have a connection that to me is the ideal so you couldn't have a, a system that is replicable in all the different communities all over the uk it just wouldn't work but if yeah, if you had the resources and people knew where to go, that was nice and simple, then they could access it and utilize it locally in their own environment under their own project banner. That would be ace. And but sometimes, you know, I think the idea of starting a new project is more important than trying to ease around a, mm. something that works for some people. And it, it, it's human nature, and it's the way funding works. But, but there's yeah, it's it's a it's a balance, I think, between providing useful stuff and, and getting your name out there. 
So I'm aware of time for you both. So I just wanted to ask you a couple of final questions. We've been talking around the subject of resources and the need for a resource, et cetera, et cetera. I wondered if either of you could mention one single resource that a parent or somebody who works with young people should go to or should signpost young people to that is really helpful. And I'm happy to start because I know one particular resource that I keep on telling people about, which I think is brilliant. I I was involved in it, so I would say that. But Wiltshire Music Connect, one of the hubs, has created a set of Why Music leaflets for parents and schools and young people. It just outlines why music is a viable career and reassures people, parents particularly that there are lots of opportunities in music and it, it signposts various organisations and I think it signposts <coughs> your, your webpage, Ollie. But have either of you got particular uh, websites or resources that you think are really helpful? I mean, the obvious one for me is is our ukmusic.org. You know, I mean, it's we have got a big education section, a lot of info on there. You know, we've created a careers pack you can contact us directly if you're in a school or if you're a young person thinking about what to do or you're an employer in the industry thinking about apprenticeships. You know, it's all, it's all there or, or certainly it's updated regularly. So we are going to refresh the careers pack soon. It's looking a little bit dated now. But yeah, so ukmusic.org. And to encourage people to contact me if they have any questions, oliver.morris at ukmusic.org. Okay. Lovely. Thank you, Ollie. Um, Serona? Yeah, so um, I mean, in the US, there is a site called careersinmusic.com. That's very helpful. Let me give a big old disclaimer here because I'm going to mention a book that I just became a uh, an author of. It's called The Music Business Handbook and Career Guide. It's um, the 13th edition is about to come out literally in like two weeks. It's been around since the late 1970s. And now this is the 13th edition. And it has a whole section that lists many different careers, as well as much of the book explains how different parts of the music industry work. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you. So I'll wrap up really soon. But before I do, I have a very random question for you both. And I will not be forgiven if I do not ask this question. And it's from Harley, who's age 16, who's an A-level music student at um, Sandringham School in St Albans. And he asked me to ask, what's the best route into acoustic architecture? And I think that's really interesting because that's kind of what we're saying here is that music is a very you know if you have an interest in sound and in music there are many many different options for you I didn't know what acoustic architecture is I don't know if either of you do I just thought I'd ask well my guess is perhaps he means things like concert venue design from an acoustic perspective maybe so one possible way in is through like a music engineering type of career path where you're learning you're learning all about acoustics and then you could combine that with architecture. So just one possible example is literally at my university, students can be studying music engineering and we have an architecture school and they could find ways to marry classes together on that. I'm sure that's not the only answer or even the most common answer, (laughs) but there are a lot of ways to take music and careers in music and combine them with related subjects. And one way to do that is to find a place to perhaps study both of them um, in parallel if there isn't a specific program that brings the two together naturally. Oh, well, that's great. Yeah, and, and, and I'll jump in um, as well, if that's okay. It's it's one of those questions that, again, you imagine there's a straightforward route and as Sarona's sort of hi- it's highlighted, there are many ways, there, there'd be many ways to skin a cat, the old saying goes. And I actually met a, an acoustic architect um, at a conference I went to in the University of Gloucestershire, which is one of our MAP partners, um, a few months ago. And he was fascinating. So 
And if, if uh, the, the pupil wants to get in touch, I'm happy to try and link them up as well. So um, by all means, get in touch. Oh. So, yeah, very interesting career if you want to go down that route. But, yeah, find some interesting projects and employers, I guess, and try and see if you can get along to the sort of chat with someone, I would, ASAP, before you make the leap. Great advice. There you go, Harley. So we've come to the end of our time. It's been really lovely to talk to both of you and particularly really great to get perspective from both sides of the pond. So I really appreciate both of you making the time. Well, it's a pleasure. It's been really nice to chat to you both. It's been my pleasure to be here. Thank you very Aww. much for inviting me. I really wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks for what you do. Oh, thank you. And that's the end of our podcast for today. If you'd like any more information on Ollie, on UK Music, on Serona and the organisations that she works for, that'll be in the show notes. And thank you for listening. That's the end of our show this time. Thank you for listening to the Music for Education and Wellbeing podcast and make sure to subscribe so that you get to hear about future episodes. If you'd like to be on the podcast or you'd like to know more about me and how I help music and creative organisations through communications, then visit writing-services.co.uk and get in touch. Thanks for listening and have a great week.